Okay, if you have Bibles with you, please open up to Matthew chapter 11. Two weeks ago I shared what I thought was going to be a one-of message titled The Powerless Place. And last week it became a two-of message with another look at the powerless place, specifically with what St. John of the Cross called the dark night of the soul. And today, yes, I'm going to make a third installment on what's now become a mini-series on the powerless place. A mini-series. Say that with a British accent. And we'll begin by taking a look at... Uh, Jesus' words from Matthew chapter 11. I want to focus on verses 28 to 30, but for the sake of context, I'm going to begin in verse 25 of Matthew 11. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son. And those to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Lord, I thank you for your word and for the truth that's in your word. Lord, I pray that you'd open our hearts and open our minds to fully grasp what you're communicating through your word, that it might set us free, that it might make us to be a whole lot more like Jesus. Amen? Ooh, boy, powerful stuff in those verses. Verses 28 to 30 has has a profound impact on me because when I think back over my years as a Christian, it doesn't quite fit within those verses. <laughs> I'm not sure that the yoke has always been easy or the burden has always been light. And it raises some questions for me. <clears throat> and I hope to address them this morning. A little bit congested today. Seasonal allergies are having their take, their toll. So please forgive me. So how do we see God? How do we view our God? Often when I'm invited to speak in another church, one of the things I'll do is I'll open up with this question. I'll say, how many of you, when you consider your earthly fathers, you think of the most kind, the most loving, the most supportive, the most caring, the most present individual you've ever known? I'll ask that question and... It almost never fails. About 3% of the people present will raise their hands. 97% of the people there, they'll, they'll keep their hands in their laps. And that's too bad, but it's a sad reality. Now, in Genesis chapter 1, we read the creation story. And this is what it says in verses 26 and 27. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his image. So God 
created mankind in his own image. The image of God, he created them, male and female. He created them. God made us. He made you, he made me. He made all men and all women in his own image. Verse 27, couldn't say it any more plainly. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. He created them. We all agree, right? My concern is this, that we flip it around. And we make God in our own image. Our understanding of God. Our image of God. Our thoughts about God. What we think He is like toward us. We make God in our image. And all too often, sadly so, He looks a whole lot like our earthly fathers. Our absent, angry, disapproving, and unloving earthly fathers. For about 97% of us. We think God looks just like our earthly fathers, and all too often, it's not a pretty picture. And with this distorted image of God, we expect Him, we expect God to despise our brokenness and our weaknesses. So, not surprisingly, we do with our Heavenly Father what we do with our earthly fathers or our earthly father figures. We try to hide our failings. We try to look as big and as strong and as capable as possible, lest we endure or risk his anger, or worse yet, his disapproval. And so we've done that with our earthly fathers, and we've transposed that image on our heavenly father, and we treat him the same way. We've had a bad experience. And it's tainted our journey. I've heard it said, and I agree, Jesus did not come to earth to change the Father's mind about you and me. Jesus did not come to change the Father's mind about us. He came to change our mind about the Father. You see, the Heavenly Father never had any delusions. He's always saw us perfectly and with exacting clarity. And his heart toward us has always eternally been one of love and a desire for intimate friendship. Why did he create Adam and Eve? So he could walk with them in the garden in the cool of the day. That's what he's always wanted. And then sin entered in. And trust was violated. And a wedge was put in place between humanity and the Trinity. I tell you what, Jesus came to change our minds about the Father. And that's as true a statement as I've ever heard. God's never had an illusion about you, but we've had many illusions about him. And Jesus came in the spirit of truth to reveal the truth of our Heavenly Father. And in so doing, set us free. Now theologically and intellectually, most of us know that Jesus is indeed the full representation of the Father. I'm not sure we've talked about it much here, or if you've ever taken any classes on the subject, or been part of a Bible study. But most of us understand, at least in our minds, with some theological background, that Jesus Christ is indeed the full representation of the Father. Jesus himself said so. In John 14, in verse 8, 
Philip says to Jesus, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. And this is Jesus' answer in the next three verses. Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been with you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Jesus is saying that he and the Father are one. That they're perfectly one. He's saying that if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Because what you see in me, the words I speak, the actions I take, perfectly represent my Father. Now for far too many of us, and I've said this before, this is how we view the Trinity, or the Godhead, that the Father is the mean one, and Jesus is the nice one, and the Holy Spirit's the weird one, right? It's just not true. It's just not true. If our image of the Father looks like anything other than Jesus, we need a brand new image of the Father. We need an image of the Father that doesn't just look like Jesus, but looks exactly like Jesus. Most of us, we read the Gospels and we see the Jesus in the Gospels and we're like, yeah, I want to be his friend. We don't all have that heart when it comes to the Father. This needs a change. It matters. We, most of us, we need a new image of our Heavenly Father. And if that's you, if that's you here today, then my encouragement is this, look at Jesus. And when you look at Jesus, you see the Father. Paul said it this way in Colossians chapter 1. He says, the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in Him all things were created Things in heaven and on earth, visible, invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn among the dead. For that is everything. For that, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. Listen to this. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. So all the fullness of God the Father, all of it, dwelled in Jesus. Nothing of the Father was missing from Jesus. Jesus doesn't just resemble the Father like my son resembles me, but they're one. They're perfectly one. They're an exact reflection of one another. This is what Jesus said, to, just to drive the point home a little further. This is what Jesus said when he prayed for his disciples, when he prayed for us. After praying for his disciples in John 17, verses 20 and 21, Jesus prays for you. He prays for me. And this is what he says. My prayer is not for them alone, meaning the disciples who he had just prayed for. 
My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That would be us. That all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may know, that the world may believe that you've sent me. That we would be one with the Father, Son, and Spirit, just as the Father, Son, and Spirit are one with one another. I make this point often, but it's profoundly significant. The Trinity has always existed before time, before creation. Before the first day of creation. Before God said, let there be light, the Trinity existed. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Perfect love. Perfect unity. They existed. And this was their heart. Born out of their perfect love. Born out of their perfect unity. They created us. Why? So that we would enter the circle with them. They wanted us to enjoy the experience of what it was like to be in that perfect circle of love and unity. They wanted us to... They wanted to grow the family. And they wanted us in it. And then in the extravagance of God's incredible, great and lavish love, He created all that exists, the entire universe. Why? So that us, His created beings, His sons and His daughters, would have a place to meet with Him. We have a great God. They've always been one. There's never been any separation between them. They are inseparable. That's why the scripture says that there is nothing that could separate us from the love of Christ. Nothing on heaven, nothing on earth, nothing below the earth. Inseparable. Because he's inseparable. His love is inseparable. So Jesus prays that we would be one with the Father just as Jesus and the Holy Spirit are one with the Father. They are perfectly synchronized. They have for eternity existed together in perfect unity, perfect oneness. Never has there been discord or dissonance between them. Jesus is unequivocally the absolutely perfect representation of God the Father in human form. Do you believe me? <laughs> Do you agree? If so, you could do this. If not, you could throw things at me. So back to, he, back to Matthew chapter 11. Whew. So though our earthly fathers or father figures may have despised our weaknesses and failings, our heavenly father has never ever despised our weaknesses or our failings. Because we know this because Jesus, the perfect representation of the Heavenly Father, says this to us in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. He says, come to me, all ye, all you who are weary and burdened, I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And you'll find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden's light. Listen to me. Maybe you're having a bad day, a bad week. Maybe it's been a bad month. <laughs> Maybe it's been a bad decade. God's not disappointed in you. God is not disappointed in you. 
God is absolutely not repulsed by you. He's not disgusted with your brokenness or your weaknesses. God, your Heavenly Father, will never send you to bed without your supper. God, your Heavenly Father, will never scream at you, Get out of my sight! Anybody heard those words as a child? From a father or a mother, Get out of my sight! And they're just dripping with disdain and rage and anger. Your Heavenly Father will never ever do that. He'll never do that to you. That's not His heart toward you. And when we think that He will, or that He does, that's when we are making God in our own image. In the image of our angry parents. And guys, listen to me. That's not who he is. Jesus is making that point right here. He's saying the broken, the weak, and you have had a bad week, a bad decade. Come to me. He's not repulsed by you. He calls to you. His heart reaches out for you. God is the exact opposite of the angry earthly father or mother who says, get out of my sight. The exact opposite. So where are you today? For three weeks now I've been talking about the powerless place. Are you in the powerless place? Are you spiritually experiencing what I referred to last week as the dark night of the soul? Are you making your way through a wilderness are you trudging through the valley of the shadow of death? Then God is saying these very words to you today. Come to me. He's saying, come to me. Don't hide from me. Don't put on a mask or a facade. Don't approach me with your Sunday best. Come. Just as you are. Come, the good, the bad, the ugly, come to me. You're invited. More important than that, you're welcome. He says, come to me. He says, all you who are weary and burdened, come to me. Not just the shiny, happy people. But the broken, weak people, too. Come to me. Not just the ones who have it all together but also the ones who don't have a clue what it would look like to have it all together. He says, come to me. You who are tired from trying so, so hard, he says, come to me. In your brokenness, in your weakness, in your pain, come to me. You who are exhausted and overworked, come to me. And what will he do? He says, I'll give you rest. Not I'll give you more to do. Not I'll heap more religious rules and regulations on you. Not I'll give you some more spiritual hoops to jump through. Not, to, not that I'll demand that you perform even higher or better. Not that I'll give you a talking to or I'll whoop you. None of that. None of that. None of the things we expect. None of the things we fear. He says, come to me and I'll give you rest. You know, the word rest here means 
to cease from any movement or labor. Why? In order to recover, to collect your strength, and to be refreshed. Come to me and I'll give you that. I'll give you what you need to recover and to be strengthened and refreshed. I'll give you rest, real rest, abiding rest, authentic rest. Not the kind of rest where you're calm on the surface and paddling like crazy beneath the water. Not that. Real rest. Graham Cook says that rest is a weapon. I think that's the very rest that Jesus is referring to here. He says, take, and this is, he gives us instructions. He says, he's basically saying, I have a better way. But all that which is not working for you and got you to this place now, I have an alternative. And the alternative is this. Take my yoke upon you. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. <clears throat> British Methodist theologian, biblical scholar Adam Clark writes this concerning yokes. He says the ancient Jews commonly used the idea of yokes to express someone's obligation to God. There was the yoke of the kingdom, the yoke of the law, the yoke of the command, the yoke of repentance, the yoke of faith, and the general yoke of God. In this context, it's easy to see Jesus simply saying, forget about all these other yokes. Forget about all these other yokes. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me instead. Jesus is not putting some new obligation on us. He's not putting an updated version of obligations on us. Instead, he's inviting us to partner with him, to walk together with him, to co-labor with him to this end, where he'll bear the heavy burden. He'll carry the load. As we walk side by side with him. And then he begins to define his yoke. He says, for I am gentle and humble in heart. I'm not the angry father you thought I was. I'm kind. And I'm merciful. My heart towards you is gentle. And humble. And you will find rest for your souls. Yoked with me. You will find rest for your soul. A place of rest. And peace for your mind that never turns off. For your will that relentlessly refuses to yield. For your emotions that have run amok. Doesn't that kind of rest sound wonderful? <laughs> Isn't that why we go on vacations? <laughs> Hopefully. He says, for my yoke is easy. And my burden is light. makes me ask, what? how is all this possible? It's possible because contrary to popular belief, God's yoke is easy and not hard. His burden is light, not heavy. His yoke will suit you perfectly. It just makes me wonder. If the yoke is hard and the burden is heavy, Maybe, just maybe it's not his. Maybe it's ours. 
Maybe it's what we think it was supposed to be. Maybe it's what someone else put on us. Maybe pastors or churches. Expectations of what we should do or shouldn't do. Could there be a better way? Guys, could there be a more Jesus-like way? I think if we take these verses seriously, there's got to be. I love how the message takes Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 to 30. I love Peterson's take on things sometimes. And this is what he writes. He says, are you tired, worn out, and burnt out on religion? <laughs> what that makes me think of? Anybody that, everybody has to see that I Love Lucy episode where she's selling Vita Vita Vegem. <laughs> Are you tired? Do you poop out of parties? <laughs> Anybody ever seen that episode? I Love Lucy? Vita, only my wife. Oh my goodness. Your assignment when you go home, go on YouTube, type in I Love Lucy Vita Vita Vegem. Vita Vita Vegem. She could, do, she could do the whole routine. Anyway, back to Matthew chapter 11 and Peterson's take on it. Are you tired? Why out? Burnt down on religion. Come to me. Get away with me. And you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. I'll show you how to do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. <sighs> Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. So I ask you those very questions this morning. Are you tired? Are you burnt out? Are you sitting here today burnt out on religion? If so, if so, I encourage you. Take up Jesus on his invitation. Go to him. He says, come to me. Do that. Stop running from him and instead run to him. He says, get away with me and you'll recover your life. I encourage you to get away with him. He really is good. He's really not angry with you. You don't have to be afraid of him. Some of us feel like we have so messed up our lives that if I return to God now, he's, it's just going to be terrible. He's just going to be angry with me and he's just going to punish me somehow. And that's not what the word of God's saying. It's to the very people who are tired and burnt out. He says, come to me. I encourage you, get away with him. And in so doing, you'll recover life, real life, the life he designed for you. So maybe it's time. Matter of fact, if that's where you're at today, I would... I would say with an absolute certainty, it's time. Get away and be with him. You know, maybe it's long past time. Get away with him and, and recover. Finally, truly, authentically, genuinely recover. And he says, I'll show you how to take a real rest. Is there any greater need in today's crazy, fast-paced world than a real rest? Jesus promises that he'll show us how. He says, walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. 
Isn't that what you've always wanted? To once again walk with Him? Isn't that part of the original design to walk with God in the garden in the cool of the day? That's His desire. And I think He created us with that same desire in us for Him. Isn't that what you've always longed for with God? To have that kind of pressureless relationship? Boy, I love this next line. And learned, and learned the unforced rhythms of grace. Man, that resonates with me. I want to play that music. I want to dance to that music. Oh God, I pray that you play that song deep into weary souls today. Start with mine. He says, I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. God's making an amazing promise to us. Nothing heavy or ill-fitting. Nothing heavy or ill-fitting. Nothing heavy or ill-fitting. Anybody here ever wore a pair of shoes that weren't the right size? Anybody had to wear a pair of shoes that were too tight for most of the day? Man, that's like torture by the end of the day, right? Have you ever had the opposite experience? Have you ever purchased a pair of shoes and they fit you perfectly? It's like walking on air all day, right? It's like, oh man, this is great. That's his promise. I won't, lo- I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. God has a life for you that fits you. He has a tribe, a people, a purpose, a calling that fits who he made you to be. He has a purpose that's custom made, that's tailored just for you. Man, I want that. I saw a video about a year ago, worship leader Don Potter talking about somebody purchased him a gift, a very expensive, custom made guitar. And it took them the better part of a year to construct this instrument. And they, they did everything exactly as he requested it. The size, the shape, the wood, the cut, the frets, everything were perfectly designed to fit this one singular musician. And he said playing it was effortless. Wow. How about a life that we, what if we had a life experience like that? Well, I'm thinking these verses is offering that. A life that fits. In a place that fits. With a tribe that fits. With a work and a calling that fits. No more being a square peg jammed into a round hole. He says, keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. I've pastored thousands of people over the years, and but a handful of them would I be able to identify as living lives freely and lightly. Most of us, our journey has been something completely other. And it just leaves me wondering, what yokes have we taken upon ourselves? What burdens have we, we we've bared? 
that we were never designed for or created for, that God never intended for us. You know, Paul was right when he said it is for freedom <clears throat> that Christ has set us free. To live freely and lightly almost sounds impossible, but good, but oh so good. And this I know, nothing is impossible for our God. It might sound to you right now that that's too good to be true. I don't think it is. I don't think Jesus would have made those promises if it, was, if it were impossible. I think he made those promises because they are possible. Life may look a lot different though. may look different than it looks right now. It might look differently than what the expectations of those around us say it ought to look like. I believe with all my heart that God has a better way. And so I speak to, to those today who feel weary and heavy laden. I speak to those today who feel broken and wounded. God's got a better way for you. And that he's speaking to you today. So Angie, why don't you come up? We'll prepare for a final song. Let me pray. Oh God, probably every one of us here, but especially those of us who, who feel broken, and wounded, and heavy laden, especially for those of us here today, oh God, that if you asked us, does life fit you, our resounding answer would be no, it doesn't fit at all, I feel like I'm walking around in shoes that don't fit me, so we take you up on your offer, come, we come to you, here, we come to you now, Lord, we are so tired, and worn out, and burnt out on religion. Give us the rest that you promised. Give us that real rest that you promised in your word. Lord, our human yokes are heavy and they're ill-fitting. And frankly, we just can't take it much longer. So we ask you for an exchange. We give you our yokes. We give you our burdens. And instead... We ask for your yoke, which is easy, and your burden, which is light. Lord, help us to actually walk with you and to genuinely learn from you. Give to us the life, the tribe, the purpose that fits exactly who you made each of us to be. Lord, we want to dance to your music, to those unforced rhythms of your great, Amazing and a lavish grace. Oh God, I pray for myself and for my friends today. Meet us in the powerless place. Meet us in the dark night. Meet us in our wildernesses. Meet us, oh God, in the valley of the shadow of death. And in those places, overwhelm us, oh God, with your great and lavish love. Overwhelm us. Overwhelm us with the reality of who you are. Do that, Lord. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Whew. Feels like there's some weight on that today. Thank you, Jesus.